Have you ever walked alone late at night? Maybe you were heading to your ride after a get-together. The party was lit, the music on point. But it's now 3 a.m. Then suddenly as you walk out, you feel eyes on you. You turn, but there's nothing there. Just an empty road illuminated by yellow-tinted streetlights. You pick up the pace. A primal urge to run comes over you. You turn again. And still, there is no one there. Your mind races with all the horror movie cliches, which now feels all too real. It's spooky season. This is Valley 101, a podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com about Metro Phoenix and the beyond. We're kicking off a series that is sure to make the hairs on the back of your neck stand straight up. From hotel visits to theater houses, we're sharing ghost stories all month long. I'm Kaylee Monahan, And I'm Amanda Luberto. And I'm Celeste Lorita. Today, we're headed to where specters perform in the limelight. But first, we have some spooky experiences of our own to share. And to be clear, everyone here believes in ghosts, right? Absolutely. Unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Celeste, I remember one of the first things you ever told me was about a ghost experience. I want you to actually tell it in full. So when I was younger, around the time of like the recession, that's like the best way I remember the time frame. By the time that the recession was happening, my family lived at this house. It was the first home my mom and my dad had bought for the family. And I lived there and it was full of just everybody. My aunt lived there, my aunt's kids lived there, I lived there, obviously like my parents lived there and everybody that was related to me possibly could live there. So it was this big four bedroom home and Everyone saw things except for the men in the family, which I think is very, very interesting, or at least they refused to think that they did. My brother did see things, my little brother did see things, but the adult men in the family did not see things. But the things that I would see were like absolutely terrifying. The most common occurrence in that house would be the fact that I would see these shadow figures everywhere that I went. The most regular and probably first experience that I had seen at the time was I would go into the kitchen for a little snack and I would eat in the dining room table because my mom would not want me to eat in my room. So then once I'm eating in the dining room table, I would see these shadows peering at me, just like almost like playing peekaboo. Like every single time I would look at them, they would kind of like near away and like hide behind the doorway.
And that became like a common occurrence and I was really scared of it, but I got used to it. So like every time I would see them and be like, okay, hey. But then I remember this time I was like doing my hair. And then I see these shadows like peer at me and I was like, this is not where you're supposed to be. Like you're not supposed to be here because it's not a place that I would usually see them. So that's the only time that I did freak out. And there was a couple times that I did see like just like terrible things. I think I saw my dead dog at the house. Like it was literally like my pet chihuahua that had died of parvo at the time. I saw her in my backyard. I had gone to my garage and I had seen these like, the best way I could describe it is the bottom half of what seemed to be a person. I remember it was like tan slacks, but it was like, you could tell it was like a woman. But it was just the bottom half of her just like pant down. And it was just kind of walking around my garage. And then I was like, never mind, I don't want to be here. I remember at the time when I did have my pet chihuahua, she was very scared of the garage and she would basically fall asleep in there and we'd wake up, open the door and she'd have to like crawl from under where she was hiding. So really thinking about it, like she was probably really, really scared. Another time I saw this guy like running in my backyard while I was eating dinner. Our sliding door was connected to our dining room. So when I was sitting in the dining room, I had direct vision to my backyard. And then I saw this man from like what it looked like to be like jogging. And then I was freaked out. And then I was like, my mom still remembers this. And she sees my head go from one side to the other side. So as if I was like tracing this man going across my backyard and then she was like, what did you see? And then I was like, I saw somebody running in our backyard, like jogging. And then she was like, okay, let me go check. Because obviously if someone's in our home, she's going to be very scared. So she goes out to check. She sees nobody, but she does see like my neighbor watering his yard. So she goes to ask my neighbor if anybody had ran out of our backyard. And he said no. But my mom came back, said it was like the electrician because she didn't want to scare me. She knew I was seeing things before that. And then another time I was also at my dinner table and then I just see like this like bright light like show up in my backyard. And then it looked like a boy. He was back there in a hospital gown getting into the light and then he like disappeared. The owners before us was like a doctor. So that was very interesting. My breaking point though was when I was watching television with my grandmother and I was on her lap and we were watching soap operas as one does with their grandmother. So I was watching soap operas and I hear this whisper in my ear. And I didn't like it. It scared me. It's something that an eight-year-old or nine-year-old shouldn't even hear. I think it told me that I was going to die. Don't like that. So natural child reaction, I just start crying. So I started crying. My mom's like, why the heck are you crying? And then I tell her and then she's like, okay, my mom believes in science too. So she's like, let me go take you to a therapist. So she took me to like a therapist slash psychologist. And then they told me everything was like fine and like that I was sound and I didn't seem schizophrenic or mentally unsound. So I know that I'm fine. 
my grandma did talk to my mom about it and she said when she screamed she did see something in the cabinets of the tv because it had a reflection on it so right when i yelled she saw like a reflection of somebody in the mirror <laughs> not in the mirror but you know in the glass um cabinet so i hate that house <laughs> i dislike it yeah i would too spooky yeah I feel like kids are definitely more predestined for experiences like this, too. And I don't know what it is about him, but... That's what the psychiatrist said, too. She was like, oh, I don't think it's anything. That's fun. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, Amanda, resident horror lover... <laughs> yes. Tell us about your paranormal experience. So my mother grew up in a house in Michigan. My whole family's from Michigan. And in the lake cabin that she spent like the second half of her adolescence and what I know to be like my grandmother's house, at the end of the stairs was an old piano. Very beautiful, it's like right in the kitchen. I don't know anyone who played the piano, so I'm not really sure why the piano was there, but every so often you would hear the piano like keys would go down and no one would be touching it. I have always been told that this was Tilly, our house ghost. I don't know much about Tilly. Tilly had always been there and Tilly is very friendly. She'll watch over you. She just wants to like tickle the ivories. If you hear like weird things or if something unexplained happens, the answer was always Tilly. And then when my mom like moved to my childhood home, our first home in Arizona, things would like still happen. I remember classic things like things would fall off of walls, which like of course can be explained, but you know, when you're predestined to think about the extra lives that we have, also could be Tilly. Things like I would just get these gut instincts to like move out of the way or something and then like like something would fall right where I had been standing. And we moved out of this house when I was six. So I was pretty young. But my mom always said like, oh, that was Tilly like put, pulling you out of the way. So like you weren't ever hurt. She's a friendly ghost. She's always very like looking out for us, keeping things in check, playing music. But every time something weird would happen, you just have to recognize it. Like you hear the weird music or playing or something. She's like, hi, Tilly. Like, I, I see you, just recognition that, like, this is all good energy still. You can continue living here. You, or, like, following my mom, however you're doing it. We mean no harm to you. If you want to randomly press keys down on a piano while no one is around, then, like, that's your prerogative. We're not going to stop you. And I think it just let, like, good energy pass still will, while spirits still, like, lived in that house. Obviously, yours is much scarier, and you're a kid, you can't explain anything. I, at least for me, like, my, when I went to my mom and I was like, what is happening? She'd be like, oh, you know, this is a good situation, it's okay. So then I always just thought, like, okay, this is fine. Never, like, um, what is that? <laughs> What's happening? And that's so scary. But, but Tilly never told me I was gonna die, so it is a little different. Tilly sounds a lot nicer. Yeah. Tilly was always good. <laughs> Fun stuff. Uh, well, it's funny that we're doing this series. 
I don't like scary stories. I don't like the supernatural. I don't watch horror movies. But I have had a few experiences. Probably one of the first ones that I really remember was when I went to Rome for the first time. We were visiting the Colosseum and like, I just felt a chill. Not very common in Rome. <laughs> no, it was summer. Very hot. I felt a chill come over me and it's not like, ooh, wow, look at this structure. Cause you know, this was 2000. I was still like young teenager, maybe a tween. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but it just felt like wrong and I felt pain not, not pain in me but just pain everywhere and I could feel myself sort of shaking a little bit there was presence various presence bad feelings there and I just realized that all the people and animals that had been killed in the Colosseum for entertainment and yeah, I was just like very spooked. To feel that wealth of suffering kind of overcoming you. So that was like my first like experience that I really recall of being freaked out and recognizing that it was something beyond the physical realm, the temporal realm. The other experience that I had is when I used to live in San Diego and there's the Whaley House. you know, which articles or TV shows you watch, it's ranked as the number one haunted house in America. I don't know if it's still the case, if there's more haunted places, but I will say this. It's located in Old Town, San Diego. And whenever I would go out with, like, my friends or my cousins, because there's a bunch of Mexican restaurants and, like, kitschy tourist traps and stuff, we could get amazing, like, margarita deals. It was expensive to park in Old Town, but it was free to park in front of the Whaley House, and nobody ever did. So I would always park my car in front of the Whaley House, and it felt like you could feel all the eyes on you, because there were so many deaths there. Where the house was built was allegedly, like, used to be the site where they would do hangings. And then when Mr. Whaley, Thomas Whaley, came out to San Diego and built the house, he lived there all his life along with his wife, but they both passed away in the house, I guess of old age. They also had one of their children die of an illness, and then another daughter committed suicide later in life after divorcing her husband. And this was all like the 1870s, 1880s. So definitely, you know, not quite the 20th century yet, but just like a lot of tragedy happening at this house. And apparently 
they're all still hanging around there or some remnants of them are staying around there. So I never went in there. Like just being on the sidewalk in front of the house was enough to freak me out. But I do know on YouTube, there's a lot of videos of ghost chasers going in there and it is very active. So if that's your thing. I have done the tour. You ha So you know. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. You can stay the night there too. That, that's a little too much for me, but. I'm like, even at the old hotel saloon mm -hmm. across the street is also allegedly haunted. But it's like, I can still feel the Whaley house ghost staring at me. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, hi ghosts. I'm just parking my car. Can you watch it? Make sure nobody steals it. Thank you. Okay, bye. <laughs> Go get my margarita. <laughs> The first ghost story we're going to hear today comes from Chris Lamont. He's an independent filmmaker and a professor at the Sydney Poitier New American Film School at ASU. I have had a couple of different paranormal experiences happen during some of the film projects that I've been working on. Our production was able to secure the ability to film at the Vulture Mine for this movie. And it's basically a story about two girls who get kidnapped and a cult is living in this mining town. And so they are trying to escape. And we do a lot of different things uh, when we're filming. And one of them is called Overnights. So we're in the Vulture Mine town during the ghost hours. And it was a very interesting shoot to say the least. So one evening at dusk, the location manager comes rushing up to me and the other producers and says, I just saw a guy with a rifle. And we're like, what? And we're in the middle of nowhere, like nowhere. And so we all kind of freaked out because we kind of looked around. There's nobody there. And if you start thinking about mining town, you know, in the early 1900s. So we were a little freaked out by that. So much so that we actually had to hire police and we had police overnight with us guarding the gates of the vulture mine because we didn't know what was going on. The people who run the place actually told us that, yeah, it's haunted. So we're like, okay, maybe this is like really, really happening. So one night, it's about three in the morning and we were kind of all over the place in this town. We actually had a golf cart that we used to get from one side of the town to the other. And so it's like three in the morning and I realized that I need some supplies and our home base was an old schoolhouse. So I'm like, all right, I got one of the crew people to give me a ride in the golf cart. And 
nothing good ever happens at three in the morning. All right. Not just revolving ghosts. I'm talking just in general, nothing good happens at three in the morning. As we're getting closer and closer to the schoolhouse, I'm starting to get this weird feeling. Like I know there's something not right. So I tell the crew person who's driving the golf cart, I'm like, all right, just give me a second. And as I start walking into the schoolhouse, suddenly this tremendous feeling of vertigo takes over my body. And I feel like there's a, a, a weight, I feel like there's a presence that's on me. It is the scariest thing I've ever felt. The whole world is spinning around. I have no idea what's going on. But then I figured it out. There are freaking ghosts in this schoolhouse. And I make my way. And I'm fighting this vertigo. I grab the stuff I need. And I get out of the schoolhouse. And I literally jump into the golf cart. And I look at the guy and I'm like, get the hell out of here. And he's like, what? I'm going, just go, just go. As we drove away from the old schoolhouse at the Vulture Mine, that feeling of vertigo, that weight that I had felt slowly dissipated. And there was no earthly reason why that ever would have happened except for the fact that there was something supernatural and creepy going on at the vulture mine it was unforgettable and this happened like 15 years ago and i remember it vividly to this day already know about this singular lantern. It's the light that's left on at night when everyone has left the stage. The practical reason is, in case someone returns after hours and needs to see around them, they won't trip in the dark. Theater scholar James Fisher wrote that the ghost light originated from the gas lamp days, when a gas light was left on at night in order to relieve pressure on the gas valves. But he also admits that it could stem from a popular legacy 
that a burglar once snuck into a theater on Broadway and fell off a dark stage and broke his leg. He then boldly sued the theater. But there are pervasive rumors that the ghost light is not for the living at all. ghost light either frightens away spirits or distracts them as they play on the stage when the theater house is empty. But whatever the case may be, it appears that ghosts love hanging around the theater. Perhaps it's because of all the free shows they get to observe. Our next set of ghost stories comes from Michael Barnard, the artistic director for the Phoenix Theatre Company. And this place is known for having housed five ghosts. Some appear to have faded into the ether, and some are still very active. There are stories that say you should never go to certain places alone, or to keep your eyes wide open while backstage. Listeners, There are some moments of swearing in this next tale. Discretion is advised. Michael sets the scene. They were there long before I had come. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we have five active ghosts here. Curious things happen all the time. And to this day, I've had props people or costume people talk about that place is haunted upstairs in the props loft. That's never been touched. I mean, I think that thing dates back to when Steven Spielberg was here. And it just feels haunted when you go in there. There was a little ballerina that would dance on the main stage. She's wearing a little blue tutu and she has a long hair, but it's been put up 
And she has this delicate little smile and a little sense of innocence about her. But she loves to smile at the dancers. And sometimes during technical rehearsals or a run-through or something like that, production or programming, like when we're doing a dress rehearsal or something to that effect. And in particular, if we had to stop, this little ballerina would always love to come out and be amongst the ladies. <laughs> this one time when several of the girls were off stage right and they were about to come on and all of a sudden there was this scream and uh, one of the dancers comes flying out and she said, did you see her? Did you see her? And we all said, what are you talking about? And she said, there was a little girl, there was a little ballerina and she floated right past me. She floated right past me. She's out here on the stage right now. <laughs> and then I've also seen where the girls are just sort of standing on stage because we're trying to light them. And so they had to just sort of stand still and Sometimes people have seen this cast of the shadow coming out and going through the other girls. I see you. Do you see me? I'm here. There's a gentleman that resides on the Battens, and sometimes, actually, I think he's still there. That's an older gentleman, and he is a part of a rigging crew or something like that, or backstage hand. There was one show where we were in the middle of tech, and one Batten hit another Batten. They just started all jostling above, and so the stage manager called for everybody to clear, and we could swear that it was this old man up there pushing the battens back and forth. We've seen, oh, things fall from the air, like screws or washers or things of that nature. We've also had a wrench fall. And we've also seen twice where in a theater with a rigging like we have on our fly system to fly a baton in and out. They're weighted and they're like 25 pound weights that you put on and you try to counterbalance the amount of weight that you've hooked onto a baton. Like if it's a drop or a door or a window or a ceiling, the weight of that has to be counterbalanced onto the flies. So when the person pulls the rope, they're pulling equal weight. So at any rate, there's one time where they called a drop in and the person unlocked the thing and it just flew out of his hand because 
the counterweight system, the weights had been taken off. Nobody knew. Nobody knew why. There was uh, one time when uh, these guys were about to make a, an entrance on stage left side, and one of them heard this kind of belly laugh come from behind him. He turned around and he looked, and of course nothing was there. And every once in a while, things will happen on our stage. Things go missing, things are moved. Things are forgotten and left in a very strange place, and nobody takes credit for any of that. They just don't know anything that's, you know, happened. And then we had a um, kind of a poltergeist. And it was upstairs in what was then called Theater One. It is now our main stage rehearsal hall and our uh, marketing offices. But the whole second floor in the older portion of the building was once called theater one and it was a combination of the costume shop and the theater itself the stage was on an angle and there was seating here seating here and seating in the middle and there were two aisles that came onto the stage so that you could use those as entrances and exits right so we were doing this three-person musical called gunmetal blues and it's a um a detective has got to solve this crime and it involves 10 blondes all played by one woman and a piano player who kind of narrates the story called Buddy Toupee. And then there's this detective and the detective is your typical, oh, you know, Robert Mitchum kind of detective guy, you know, good looking, you know, three day old, whisker line and, you know, and all that kind of thing, you know, good looking brash. And, um, he was played play by this guy named Robert who he played the, the role of the detective perfectly, but his real personality was a little skittish. And during the rehearsal period, I made the mistake of telling him that theater one has a poltergeist and he like bought a hook, line and sinker. 
but there was something going on there. And um, I said, yes, they had done a show. It was about these two individuals that uh, climbed K2. Anyway, he got into a big fight with the director. And the director kicked him out of the show, fired him from the show. This young man had always ridden a bicycle to the theater to work. On his way home, riding a bicycle, he was so upset, and etc. He wasn't paying attention. He got hit and killed by a car. And he came back to haunt that theater. As the story goes. So I had told Robert this. So Robert's like friggin' spooked. And but I'm telling you, he, I told you about these two aisles, right? Well, one aisle led straight back and to a spiral staircase that goes upstairs. And that's where the stage manager was, was upstairs on top of the spiral staircase. He was back there waiting to go on and he heard something coming down the stairs and he looked up and there was nobody there. And he's going, oh, shit. And he was getting re really, really nervous. Well, his entrance came and he stepped in to come on stage and he tripped on his own shoelace. And as he did, a light fixture fell out of the sky right in front of him. Had he not tripped, that thing would have hit him square on the head. And so he was like so spooked and we all were actually, uh, I mean, we were all panic stricken. We finally calmed him down and we kept going and he had a quick change in that same area later on the show. And when he went back to do this quick change, it was sopping wet. Like it had just been dumped into a barrel of water. Couldn't figure out that for nothing. He went to his dressing room at one point and there was a fire burning in his wastebasket. Smoke was pouring out of the dressing room, etc. So there was all sorts of things that were ha happening there. There is a mischievous ghost. <laughs> this one, I think, I swear is still there. He's up in the prop storage. The spookiest story was this costume designer was looking for an umbrella or something, a little parasol or whatever. And she went up there to go find a parasol that would be kept in the prop storage. And it was right before Halloween.
It was after hours, so most of the building was quiet and people had gone home. And the prop storage is backstage on uh, main stage theater and off to the side and then up a flight of stairs. So chances are you could be up there and nobody would know that you're up there at all. And it has a gated door to it with a padlock. So she went up there and she opened up the padlock, kept the door open, she was looking around there. And all of a sudden that door swung closed and she heard the padlock lock. And she came over there and literally she was locked in the storage. No, 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 come on. And this was like eight or nine o'clock at night. And all of a sudden the lights inside the prop storage just went out. So she was left there in complete blackout and starts screaming bloody murder. Somebody had come back to the theater and had noticed that the light for the prop storage was still on. It was somebody in the, on the scenic crew and, and they'd forgotten something, a tool or whatever they had forgotten. So they'd come back and they were just looking out on stage and and they turned around to leave, and they saw the prop storage light. Um, he went over and flipped, flipped it off. That's who had done that. And she's screaming, screaming, she's crying. And she said, it locked, it just locked itself. And he said, do you still have the key? Because, you know, she unlocked it. And she goes, do you still have the key? And the key was gone. And he found that key at the bottom of the stairs, right by the light switch. ghost that I can tell you about, I always called him the flirt. He would appear in the tech booth of our theater. And you go into our tech booth, there's a little baby wall ladder that goes to a, a little door and you can go out that door and you're on the roof of the theater. And back in the day, we used to go up there on that roof all the time but nobody goes out there anymore. It sets off an alarm. But back in those days, um, it, you know, it didn't. So actors who were like lovey-dovey, they found their way up the ladder, out that door to sort of make out and kissy-poo. <laughs> and um, they would hear music playing. They would hear somebody humming. As they would approach the door, the door would just open. Sweet. 
And actually, I shouldn't say he, because I don't know what gender this ghost was. All I know is that you'd always hear sweet music. Sometimes you'd feel something on your neck. So I'm told I was not in this compromising position. And sometimes they'd go up and there were lights, blue lights. Now these blue lights did exist up there because they are there to guide you in the darkness so you don't trip or fall over things. So these blue lights would line the floor and the blue lights, they're never on. You have to flip a switch to turn them on. And one time I remember the technical director going up there with a um, gal and there was a candle burning one single romantic candle burning up there but they'd hear um this ghost giggle and smile and a little bit of laughter <laughs> so there seemed to be something connected to that our ghost stories didn't freak you out too much, but let us know by visiting valley101.azcentral.com. If you've got a story to share, we would love to hear it. This episode was produced by me and Kaylee Monahan, with editorial help from Kathy Tulamello. Today's musical scoring came from Universal Production Music. You can support Valley 101 by subscribing to us on your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. And if you liked this episode, or maybe you want to share a fright, share it with a friend. You can follow us on social media at AZC Podcast. Next week on Valley 101. And I remember distinctly that it, it sounded like kids that were running up and down the hallway and being really, really loud, like yelling and laughing. And... I remember thinking, who would, first of all, take their kids out and stay out so late and then come home, come back to a hotel and allow their kids to be running up and down the hallway and making so much noise.
Valley 101 is an Arizona Republic and azcentral.com production. I'm Amanda Luberto. I'm Kaylee Monahan. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.